Welcome to Brand Story Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining me today on Brand Story Inc. is Ronald Mendez of Mediacom, where he leads the Multicultural Center of Excellence. Ron works with teams to develop tailored communication strategies that are based on in-depth insights of multicultural consumers. As you'll learn on today's podcast, Ronald strives to understand the similarities that thread all audiences together, but more importantly, the nuances that exist that enable brands to meaningfully connect and build a long-term business relationship with them. This is the fourth episode of Brand Story Inc.'s 2021 Hispanic Heritage Month series, where we've hosted some of the most influential executives in the business of the Latinx audience and who control quite a bit of financial sway in to helping this, in my opinion, still woefully under-targeted audience uh, to help receive the attention it deserves. Ronald, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for the opportunity to be part of uh, your uh, Hispanic uh, Heritage Month pod series. Well, we are, uh, we're thrilled to have you, um, especially with your role at such an influential company like Mediacom. Um, so uh, let's start there a little bit with your journey story and would love to hear how you arrived at this moment as managing partner and multicultural lead at Mediacom. Cool. Um, so to be completely frank, I never really saw myself in this position. Uh, you know, going through my career, I would always look at my my bosses at, at that time and be like, man, I never want to be there. I don't want to have that <laughs> level of stress. <laughs> um, but, you know, sure enough, here I am. So, you know, how I, how I started, uh, it's an interesting story. Uh, or at least I like to think it's interesting. I actually started right out of high school. I was hmm. 17 years old. And my mom at that time was an office manager at Coneal Advertising um, you know, unfortunately, it's no longer around, but at, during that period, uh, it was one of the largest uh, Hispanic all, mm-hmm. all full-service agencies mm-hmm. in the U.S. And they were actually looking for somebody to help pack offices that were moving from one floor to another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that summer I had gotten my working papers and mm-hmm. I looked at my mom. I'm like, how much are you paying and can I apply? <laughs> <laughs> so I saw it as, a, as an opportunity to you know, just raise up some money mm-hmm. as, as I was about to start college. Um, and yeah, $10 an hour. Sure, why not? Let's mm-hmm. go. And, you know, I spent my summer helping the, the, the company move from one floor to another, mm-hmm. packing, packing boxes. Uh, and at the end of the summer, I was offered a part-time job. They're like, hey, do you want to stick around? It, it was, it's great having you. Well, well, well we can help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'll help you with your college, but also, you know, you can you can help the various teams. So, sure enough, wow. uh, I, I worked with the various teams from account service, research, research production, talent. I mean, you name it. Uh, I had a, a you know a, a role in helping them at one point or another, and then eventually the part time job turned into a full time job within the media department. Um, mm-hmm. Where at that point I had to make a decision: do I accept it? Um, mm-hmm. or do I go to school, do I accept it and go to school at night or do I decline it and continue mm-hmm. going to school during the day? So, um, obviously I accepted the position and I was working full time during the day and, um, going to school at night. Uh, 
full time as well. Wow. So, you know, it took me six years uh, to graduate, but you know, here I am today. I'm, I'm still awesome. I'm still in media. <laughs> that's that's impressive. So I was going to ask you the next segment. I've, I've created a new segment called the Mom Explainer because um, my mom thinks she knows what I do, but she really doesn't have any idea. And so my, it sounds like your mom is very well versed in what you do. So how would you yeah. explain what Mediacom does to my mom? So the way I, I, I you know, I, the way I've explained it to my friends because they, they they think it's all about, you know, having fun and because they, they get to see all the cool pictures, you know, mm-hmm. obviously prior to COVID, uh, me attending certain events and so on and so forth. So the way I've explained it is I help my brands, my clients understand the audiences that can drive their business mm-hmm. and how to connect with them. So if you're watching TV and you see an ad or if you're on a website and you see an ad, my company helps place that ad in that environment in which you saw it mm-hmm. um with the hope that you click and and you know and, and you take action so mm-hmm. that that's how i've explained it to to some folks i love it um, simple and clean simple yeah straight to the point <laughs> and then you know behind the scenes it's a lot more complicated than that but. oh of course yeah it's not it's not that easy <laughs> all right so to that end from a day job perspective explain what you ron specifically do on a day-to-day basis you know, um, so the the pros and cons, right? The the pros of running the multicultural center of excellence is that my day to day changes every day. Um, so that's a pro and a con, right? Um, you know, I the work that we do, like like you mentioned, our job. Um, so it's Christina Martinez and myself within the center of excellence, and mm-hmm. our job. For brands who are not active within the multicultural space is to help them understand the audience, the business opportunity that exists, and what it means to them. So, you know, how are these consumers driving business for for the category or for themselves um, at this current moment and and how it's going to impact the future, given that we are becoming that much more diverse, that much more multicultural. So... Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think we're at a tipping point where multicultural is no longer a nice to have. Mm-hmm. It's it's a must have if you want to you know you know if you want to stay in business and you want to thrive. Um, so you know that's part of my one one aspect of my job. Another aspect is for the brands that are already active, is keeping um, keeping the teams up up to date on the latest trends, uh, best practices. Um, you know. Uh, working with them to mm-hmm. pivot or, or, or adjust strategies, activations. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, you know, we, I work with Christina to create training modules uh, for new hires as well as, um, you know, existing mm-hmm. teams that we're consistently updating. Um, and then, you know, the, the other part of my job, which uh, I call it myth busting, <laughs> is um, trying to, the, you know, uh, try to the, trying to debunk some of the headlines that you, we may see in a, in a newsletter or, or a press release or something of, you know, whatever new study, like for example, all oh, 70% of Hispanics or Latinx consumers are consuming content in English. So we don't need to do Spanish anymore. It's like, okay, hold mm-hmm. on, let's pull back. Let's understand and break that down for you. Um, so yeah, it's a, a little bit of myth busting and then, um, you know, helping teams and clients uh, figure out the best approach to to connecting with multicultural consumers. Man, you you segued me perfect into that, and I think um, 
you know, so let's talk about that kind of the multicultural lens. And we're going to, for the purpose of this conversation, understanding multicultural is much more than the Latinx audience, but we're going to focus on that here specifically right, in honor sure. of Hispanic Heritage Month. So, you know, clearly you just kind of went there, right? DE&I is dominating headlines in kind of the content, brand storytelling, advertising space. And it's one that, that I look at on a regular basis with my colleagues, right, who are in, uh, who run a Latino media publisher. And, you know, it's interesting. You talk about the headlines, right? I think one of the headlines that's out there that some people are, are seeing other people's are still missing is that we're now at just about 19% of the U.S. population, right? Mm -hmm. 62 million plus being in the United States being Latino. <clears throat> what are you seeing in terms of the marketplace recognition as it relates to like true dollars being invested into the Latinx space? Yeah, so yeah, at least from a media comp group and perspective, we are seeing an uptick in investment um, against the Latinx community and, and segment. Um, you know, obviously there are brands that may have declined, uh, but, you know, all in all, we are seeing an uptick and, and we are seeing that clients are paying more attention, trying to figure out how to connect with Latinx audiences. Now you have clients that move at, at, at a much faster pace than others. Mm -hmm. You know, I, at the end of the day, um, Personally speaking, I I don't care what pace you go as long as you get there eventually, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I think you know there, there's so many other things that that marketers are trying to figure out, especially as you know, you know, I mean, let, let's think about the impact that the pandemic had, right, going into mm -hmm. 2020, and then you know as we're recovering, coming out of it, we we can expect marketers to do to to cover everything and everything, but as long as in my opinion, as long as they're paying attention to the multicultural landscape, I feel um, whatever pace you're moving at, eventually you'll get there. Um, I, I think where we run into some hurdles and, and some myth-busting is when we talk about language, right? Because mm -hmm. that tends to be a, a big conversation. Well, and and like I mentioned, you know, we, we see headlines like, oh, 70%, yep. 80% of Latinx community are bilingual. Um, so when when marketers hear that, they're like they start asking themselves, well, oh, if we're reaching them through if they're bilingual, then I'm sure we're reaching them through English language. Mm -hmm. Then do we really need to do Spanish language, which is going to increase my non-working dollars? Mm -hmm. um, you know, nowadays everything is about um, cost efficiencies and 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 putting dollars to work. So you know, producing an additional creative or two. It's taking funds away from from driving ROI um, mm -hmm. in, in you know in the uh, short term, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know we've done a lot of analysis to to really hone in on that. And you know one of the things I I say to to, to our clients and and you know our, our is that let's not ask the question of whether it's an English or Spanish conversation. Mm -hmm. What we need to understand is what is the right balance between English and Spanish to ensure that we're connecting in a meaningful, meaningful way with the Latinx community. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, we can't assume that they're consuming media in one language a hundred percent, like myself, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm bilingual, obviously. Um, yep. I'm, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you I just consume 
Spanish language media, or that I should consume English language media. The, the beauty of being bilingual is that you have the option to determine and to seek out the best possible content for your passion points, right? So language is not necessarily a strategy, it's more of a tactic. And if we truly understand the consumer and understand their passion points, then we'll know where they're going for the best possible content regardless of language. And one example just that, that I, I like to share is, you know, personally, again, mm -hmm. as we think about football and football, right? Mm -hmm. I, for one reason or another, I cannot watch the NFL in Spanish. Mm -hmm. My brain shuts down. I am programmed to watch it in English. Mm -hmm. But I also can't watch soccer in English. I have to watch it in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So, you know, language, in my opinion, uh, to a certain extent, takes the back seat, and the content, the best possible content, takes the front seat. So whether, wherever you find that best content, it's going to determine what language you're going to consume it in. Well, I think... You I want to stay here for a minute because you're you're talking a, on a, a really it's almost like there's levels of this right to your point of myth busting and again i'm not here there's a someone who has not dealt with the latinx audience from a brand perspective yet um that that's one of almost the first things is just getting their arms around or head around language right mm -hmm. because i've talked about this recently we had on the the president of fox deportes and and I think they do a disservice, as does ESPN. And I'd tell this to Carlos. And it's that is the TV signal that goes to the U.S. is in English, and the one that goes to Latin America is in Spanish. It's like it's like a holdover from you could only put one language on one signal, so what do you do, right? And it's like right. an entire business, generation of business, has kind of been Latino equals Spanish, right? As opposed mm -hmm. to... What you just said, which is true, 70% of, of, you know, just under 70% of Latinos consume sports in English, right? But they're bilingual. There's a high bilingual. You just, you just articulated that. And so when you go to the next level down, though, and I think this is where a lot of people make mistakes, it's like, okay, they'll go and do creative on an ad spot. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, can we put that in Spanish? As opposed to who are you featuring in the spot? And then mm -hmm. this is where, to me... You know, I, I'm no, you know, I am not Latino. I'm learning this. I'm five years into it. But the cultural nuances between Mexican who lives in the United States, right, or a Mexican-American versus a Cuban versus a Venezuelan or, are, you know, the equivalent of trying to market, you know, somebody between Texas and Maine on food, right? It's like completely different cultures, completely different things. And it's almost there's a complexity of culture and identifying with winks to cultures, right? And inside mm -hmm. jokes and humor between different um, Latino cultures, that's that's to your point where you're really getting to the good. So I'd, I'd love to hear your take on how you speak about that, like the nuances between different um, Latino cultures and how that applies to kind of connecting with audiences. Yeah, uh, great, great question. Um, and it's one that, tends to come up from time to time. Um, so here's what I would say to that. Unless you're looking to connect with a Dominican, a Cuban specifically, or, or a Mexican specifically, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, you know, years ago, I used to work on a brand called Tecate. Um, I'm mm -hmm. sure you, you've heard of it. It's yep. a beer. Um, 
and we made the conscious decision to only target Mexicans. So the ad um, was specifically targeted to Mexicans. So there was mm -hmm. a lot of Mexican slang mm -hmm. in that ad. Um, and listen, I, I'm Cuban. Uh, I speak Spanish. I, I was actually born in Cuba, right? So mm -hmm. here I am looking at this ad, and I didn't understand one word they said. <laughs> <laughs> so we definitely did a, a, the creative agency did an amazing job of making sure that was targeted to Mexicans. Mm -hmm. um, but but again, un unless you're making a conscious decision and you've identified as you know a, a, a specific nationality as the your your high value customer. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I wouldn't peel the on, the layers of the onions that, that far. Mm -hmm. um, you know, despite the fact that, yes, they're, 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 uh, the cultures uh, are different, there are also a lot of similarities, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I would lean more on those similar, uh, similarities uh, to ensure that you're not alienating any one particular audience. Um, you know, I, as I mentioned before, I get this question, but in a different way. Um, from, or I used to get it a lot from marketers, which they would say, hey, there's Dominicans, there's Mexicans, there's Cubans, there's this, there's that. Am I going to have to create a different ad for, for mm -hmm. each nationality? And I, you know, and I look at them and I'm like, well, let me ask you a question. How do you do general market? Because general market's everybody. Mm -hmm. And the way you talk to a New Yorker is not the way you talk to somebody right. from Texas or, yep. or somebody from California or Chicago. So, you know, if, if you're not asking that question for general market, in my opinion, you shouldn't be asking that same question for, for Hispanic. It's um, a great point. It, it's not, you know, at the end of the day, it's not rocket science. So it's, mm -hmm. if you apply the same rigor that you did for your general market campaign, then you should be fine. It, the only difference is it's the audience that you're looking to connect with. Well, you know, so I want to follow up on that then, because you're, you're out, I loved your, you, you just said part, a good part of your job is myth busting. By any by any conceivable metric, right? The spending from advertisers on the whole in the U.S. isn't even close to commensurate with the audience size and buying power, right? Which of the Latino audience? And so I'm curious as to why you think this is and why the gap is currently still so large there. Um, I think it's twofold. One, what I was mentioning before, where there, there, there's a, a, a sense of, hey, we're reaching them already through English language efforts, so we don't need to go above and beyond, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, time and time again, we disproved that. Like, as you think about uh, a TV campaign, right? If, if you're only trying to connect with Hispanics through English language television, what we've seen is that Nine out of 10 times when, when we do a spillover analysis to understand how that campaign delivers against Hispanics, it always under delivers. Mm -hmm. And the only way to drive incremental reach is by adding in the Spanish language layer or the Spanish language partner. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's how you're able to, to, to you know, drive scale against the Hispanic audience. So I think that's one part. And then the other part is, is you know, when you're looking at the audience and you start doing your analysis based off of a consumer profile or persona that you've created, and uh, I'm going to make one up, right? Like, oh, I want to reach a affluent uh, adult that's 25 to 54 making, you know, mm -hmm. more than $75,000 a year, household income, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And 
a lot of marketers tend to forget how young the Hispanic audience is. Actually, how young the multicultural mm-hmm. segments are, right? If you um, if you look at the median age for general market, it's in the 40s. If you look at the median age for Asian and, and African-American Blacks, it's in the 30s. Mm-hmm. If you look at the median age for Hispanic, it's what, 28, 29, yeah, if I remember correctly? Yeah. 28. So you're looking at an audience, you're, you're comparing apples to oranges, right? Mm-hmm. So you're looking at an audience that still hasn't reached its peak earning years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of the times what we do is also look at how we're defining our, our, the consumer and provide our thoughts to our, to our, you know, our teams as well as our, our clients on how to adjust it to ensure that they're reaching um, the Hispanic audience as well. And, and we do this across the board, uh, not just for Hispanic, but to your point, um, because of Hispanic heritage, we'll, we'll just focus on Hispanic. And then one last point I'll throw out there um, is stereotypes, you know, the stereotypes yep. that exist. So unfortunately, you know, there, there was a great campaign a few years ago done, I believe it was done by um, by HP, where they went out into the street and they were asking people, hey, what's a Hispanic job? Mm-hmm. And more often than not, the consumers that they were interviewing were saying blue collar, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, the back end of that ad, they asked Hispanics, okay, what's your profession? And, you know, many, mm-hmm. well, I'm a rocket scientist. Mm-hmm. I am a mm-hmm. marketer. I am this, I am mm-hmm. that. So, you know, if we think about the stereotypes and unconscious bias, you know, unfortunately that also plays a role in yeah. some of the decisions that I made. I think it's huge as a guy who's been on the front lines, you know, carrying the Latino flag with my <laughs> colleagues. I and, and as a white middle-aged guy, I see it every day. And it, it to me, it's, um, it's a conversation that's not getting talked about, right? And right. obviously, with what's happened with the Black Lives Matter movement and all the attention in the wake of George Floyd's murder and all of those things, um, I think you know, rightfully so, there was this, there was a conversation that bubbled up. Uh, one of the reasons I'm doing this Hispanic Heritage Month series like this with smart people like yourself is because. <laughs> you've not only seen it every day, you've lived it your whole life. And and I, I feel that it, it's an interesting conversation I've had with my colleagues. It's interesting how little it's talked about considering the size of the population. Um, right. And it just makes me scratch my head, right? It's like, and, you know, I'm sure there's three, there's three instances you could rattle off in work that have happened, right? Um, and, and, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've always uh, told a lot. Um, you know, a, a lot of folks have have asked me, "Hey, what what should I know? What should I do when I'm, uh, you know, to get into multicultural marketing?" And and you know, and how should I prepare myself? And w- w- one piece of advice I've always given people, I'm like, you know, you gotta have thick skin, mm. um, because I, I, you know, I've been in situations. Um, and fortunately there haven't been anything recent, but you know, earlier mm-hmm. in my career, I, I would be in rooms where I, I can't believe the question that I'm being asked, right? Where it's like, well, can Hispanics really afford my product? Mm. Oh, well, um, do Hispanics even mm-hmm. make enough money to, to, you know, yeah. wh- whatever it is. So, and, and I'm sitting there like, well, my jaw drops and you know, I got to hold my composure mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, the bunk what's being shared yeah i mean the very first the very first call i was on for uh so we we own a company called la vida baseball i was on a sponsorship call with an executive marketer at 
a mortgage company, nationally mm-hmm. known. And we went through the presentation, and the first question the guy asked was, what percentage of your Latino audience has internet access? Which is like the most offensive, veiled, you know, way of saying how poor is the audience? You know, it's just like, and I just, I was stunned. Right, I was, yeah. I mean, we literally had to change our presentation decks to put the first slide to show how Latinos over index compared to whites and blacks on content consumption and on technology use and on iPhone use. Like, it's just, and yeah. this was 2017, right? This is not right. like 1982. So I can only imagine what, what, what you've experienced, which is again, why I want to have this real conversation because I'm not seeing it anywhere. And so, you know, kind of flipping to the positive side here, I'd love to get a case study cliff note from you, a recent Mediacom client project that epitomizes why you're proud to be where you are in the role that you're at. And that gives us maybe some deeper context to Mediacom. Um, I mean, there are so many, I, I have to say one of the reasons um, I came to Mediacom was, was just the approach and the thinking and how they were making a case for multicultural consumers. Um, you know, there was a time where I actually went into sales because I, I got burnt out on the agency mm-hmm. side. And I was like, I'm never going to go back to the agency, at least at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's just when you think you're, you're out, they pulled you back in. <laughs> um, and, and, and the way that we think and approach and, and I mean, my colleagues, it's, it's, it's amazing how far we, we, we've all come um, from a multicultural perspective. But if I were to think about one in particular... Um, I would say, uh, um, th- there was one project that I worked on where, you know, my, we were making a case for Hispanic, right? And since you, mm-hmm. you, you speak about mortgages, it, it was, it was within that category. Mm-hmm. It was a, a, about mm-hmm. home ownership. And we went into the meeting, we presented to the client an audience deep dive of Hispanics. We talked to them about you know, the early adoption of technology. We talked about the increase the, uh, in, in home ownership and how Hispanics were really driving the growth behind that, right? Um, and, you know, we positioned it, and, and, and I have to say, I, I, I wasn't the one, I won't take credit for the way that we positioned it. Uh, my counterparts um, did that. They came in and said, Ronald, we don't want to present this as a multicultural opportunity or a Hispanic opportunity. Mm-hmm. We want to present this as a growth opportunity. Hmm. And I was just like, wow, I love that. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's, let's go for it. And, you know, as I spoke about before, some clients move faster than others. I was astonished at how quickly the client moved that within a month, they were already in the market after we shared that presentation and had a very successful um, campaign. Yeah, I mean, what a great they, they point. They needed all expectations. So. Ronald, what a great point you bring up there. Such a simple but profound concept, right? Changing changing the starting point of that presentation to reframe the brain, reframe the brain around growth because that's what we're talking mm-hmm. about here. It's like that's the part I think that probably has you and me and others in the space banging our heads against the wall is the fact that this is not about um, placating 
right? Or being politically correct or it's about business. You are just flat out missing an entirely enormous market in almost any case of your product or service by not engaging and thinking about the Latino audience. And so I, I loved how you just said that. It's such a simple mind reframe. That's super cool. So to, to, to that end, fill in the blank for me here. The one conversation you can't believe you're still having at the end of 2021 with brands is blank. Hmm. Let me think about that. It could be new business prospects because obviously the ones that are your clients are... Uh, yeah, I, I will say it's. Um, I would say it's a, it's a it's around language. Do we really need Spanish language to connect with the Latinx community? Hmm. Fascinating. That's, that's one that um, tends to pop up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, last question before we get personal with you, Ronald, is uh, the integrated content challenge. So. One of the things I've experienced, um, not always the case, but you know, directionally seems to be true. The larger the brand, the bigger the dollars, the more agencies that seem to be involved by specialty, right? You've got mm-hmm. a media planner for TV, a digital media agency of record, a creative agency of record, a multicultural agency of record. And, and when you're trying to talk about the way content's consumed and messaging is consumed, right? In today's cross-platform ecosystems, it just seems broken, right? That there's, you know, car company X has 17 agencies of record because they're not incentivized to kind of work together. So I'm curious how you at Mediacom navigate this challenge on integrated programs that you have for your clients where you may not have control over all of the things you'd wish you'd have control over. Right. So I would say that's when the word partnership comes into play. And that's when you realize who truly is a partner and who isn't, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, we, we have a few mm-hmm. brands that are, are clients that, you know, we have to work with uh, agency partners. And I have to say, we we come together. We, we do weekly statuses. We do weekly, um, you know, meetings where we come together to talk about the best approach and mm-hmm. how to take it and how to take our brand's campaign to the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's when you need to put egos aside, and it doesn't matter whose idea it was. We just need to come together to ensure that we're delivering the best possible product for our client. Because at the end of the day, that's what we've been hired for, mm-hmm. right? The client didn't hire us because they, they want to work in a silo. They hired us because they want the best of, you know, a planning agency, the best of a digital agency, the best of a multicultural agency to come together if they can't get it under one roof. I, I will say, though, you know, within WPP, given the, the you know, our size, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have worked to create WPP integrated agency teams mm-hmm. where we're bringing the best people from various agencies together to service our clients so that, you know, they may not necessarily need a, another digital agency or another uh, social agency and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, you know, just to answer your, your question, it's, it's partners. It's being true partners mm-hmm. and bringing people together. Now, whether 
a campaign gets executed by Mediacom or, or, or another agency, I, I think it's also where the bulk of the dollars, as we think about cost platform, uh, I'll give you an example. If it's if it's a TV campaign that also includes a layer of digital, a layer of social, and so on and so forth, that may get executed by mm-hmm. uh, by Mediacom because it's not it, it's not a it's an add-on and not necessarily a standalone mm-hmm. uh, effort. Um, but you know, I, again, it, it all goes back to being two partners and working together and leave and leaving the egos at the door when when, when you come to the table. Awesome. Uh, on the personal side, I ask every get every guest about their morning must. So fess up on your email inbox, social follows, and other morning routines you have to stay on top of industry news. How do you do it? Uh, so <laughs> my morning routine. Uh, well, I'm, I'm usually up around five thirty in the morning. My kind um, of guy. Well, not because I want to. I have a four year old, and that that's when she gets going. So. <laughs> You know, be, before I get into work mode, um, I like to spend some time with her. We play, we, mm-hmm. we do some arts and craft, awesome. um, you know, whatever it is. Um, but from from an inbox perspective, you know, as you can imagine, I subscribe to all the industry newsletters that are out there. Um, I try to at least spend a good 30, 40 minutes just skimming through headlines. And if a, a particular article piques my interest, I'll dive into that. Um, I, I do have to fast up, you know, social, I, I, I try to stay off of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or so on, it's just, you know, too much going on where I'm like, ah, uh, there's too much noise, but, mm-hmm. and, and not enough good content. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear you. But, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, is there, a, is there a source or two um, for multi for those that are listening that may not that may be new to the multicultural space? A source or two that you would advise them to kind of as a good starting point. Um, that's a good starting point. You, you know, it, it's it's hard to pinpoint one because you might find some nuggets in ones that you don't necessarily consider them as multicultural. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously you have uh, HispanicAd.com. Mm-hmm. Um, their newsletter, you, um, mental, mm-hmm. they, they share some great stuff, the 4A. So it's, it's a little bit of everything. What, what, I, what I'm seeing now is, is that multicultural content is being sprinkled in, sprinkled into yep. everything. So, you know, yeah. I, I think Digi- Digi Day is really increasing. Yeah. Their... Digi Day. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So, um, e-marketer, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's all out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I apologize. I don't have one specific one. <laughs> no, that's okay. That was the point. You you rattled off a bunch, which is great. So yeah. final question for you, Bedside Bookstand. What are you reading for fun, if anything? Right now, so two things. Um, True Dog, so it's the um, memoir by Phil Knight mm-hmm. and how Nike became Nike, for those who aren't familiar with the book. Um, I found it, I'm finding it very, well, actually, it's the second time I'm reading it. It's very um, telling and, 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 and love how Nike was almost never. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right. Um, and then the other thing I've been reading is not necessarily a book, um, but I, I, I got caught up with the whole um, G, uh, GME, the, the whole GameStop stock run yep. and, and AMC and all that stuff. 
that you know got fascinated by by it all and 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 went into the reddit um rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like you know, as i'm reading some of the posts i'm sitting there like wow like either people have like a lot of people have too much time on yes, their hands to go to connect all the dots but you know it's it's so fascinating on um, you know how you know the bigger institutions kind of discredit the the retail investor um yeah. and you know how brilliant some some of these folks are That's i'm just sitting there like i would have never figured that out but Awesome. <laughs> All right, so you got you got to fess up, man. What's the what's the next big meme stock that we don't know yet? If you're in the rabbit hole, oh, you're not going to share with us, I bet. Honestly, I have no idea. Long <laughs> Wall Street bets for that. <laughs> I, I like to use I like to use that as an example, though, right? Of like you talk about, well, it's not a Hispanic community per se. It's like Reddit in the and think about the marketplace power that a small mm-hmm. group of people passionately connected people can have i mean that's yeah. what i love about that story it's like holy smokes like you know a glorified group chat of people is like making corporate titans sweat in their yeah. ivory towers right it's just pretty cool so totally totally and, you know and and just to add to that it's like it's people of various backgrounds yeah right different countries all coming together around one particular issue or, or topic or rallying behind a company that they they thought that shouldn't go out of business yeah. so I, I i just got again fascinated with with the whole honestly i i wish i could have i, I would have found it before <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, exactly but hey <laughs> very cool well ronald mendez can't thank you enough for your time um i will put Ronald's contact information and LinkedIn in the show notes on teamworksmedia.com so you can reach out to him directly, learn more about Mediacom, learn more about Ronald. And, and let us know what you hear, what you liked, what you didn't. Send us your feedback. Uh, we're here to help you, the audience, get better in the multicultural game. And, and Ronald, thank you for your time and helping us do that. Thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc., We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.